please join me as we go to our God in prayer before we go to His Word. Father in heaven, again we come before you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to, to read this book, these words, these ancient words that you've put on pages long, long ago that are just as relevant and just as, as real for this day that we live as they were in the day that they were written. Lord, you've given us words of life so that we might know how to live, how to live out this, this walk with you, how to bring glory and honor to your name how to avoid sin, how to put it to death, how to put it off and to put on the deeds of righteousness that You have called us to. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. We thank You for His great love for us, His sacrifice, His service, His example that He set for us that we might know how to walk with You, how to be image bearers. Father, we thank You for this letter of Colossians that we've been studying what a glorious opportunity to, to dive into Your Word and to see what You have for us. And I pray that as we continue in this this week, that You would continue to teach us, help us to understand what is here. Might we live it out in a way that would glorify and honor Your name as the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, we are quickly approaching the end of Colossians. As we start at chapter 4, we find that Paul and Timothy are going to kind of speed through the last 17 verses with a series of quick commands that teach us about the importance of communicating on purpose. And then a series of statements about the importance of having relationships on purpose. Because Jesus is greater than, you and I have now been given the, the opportunity and the blessing to live on purpose. We've seen how life purpose changes sin. It, it, um, it impacts relationships at home. It changes the work. Next week we'll look at, at people on purpose, but to observe two commands that show us how essential it is that we devote ourselves to words on purpose. Many things that... Am I breaking up still? Okay. There are many things that, that drive me batty about modern communication, about um, social media. But one of the things that I adore is the ability to be able to communicate and have conversations with friends and family at, at any corner of this globe that we live on. Yesterday morning, I was having a casual conversation with a dear friend of mine and a co-worker in the gospel who lives in Lilongwe, Malawi. And... Kondi and I were, were visiting a little bit. Uh, we had met in South Africa many years ago when we took a team back in 2006. And at the time, Kondi was doing an internship and working with the Zulu congregation uh, there in the Johannesburg area. And now he's moved to Malawi, pastor of Grace Bible Church in Lilongwe. And we were having a casual conversation about Colossians yesterday morning. Uh, he just finished preaching through this epistle earlier today. And we'll be finishing Colossians later on next Sunday. But what a joy to be able to share in the preaching of the Word and ministry together. And what a joy to be able to take part in in ministry with other people and to talk about people like Kondi with ministry. God made us for communication. Uh, We are wired to communicate, to talk, to convey ideas, and to, um, to understand concepts that are 
thought by other people and communicated to us. We're, we are wired to communicate with other people. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the apostle, he introduces us at the very beginning of his Gospel to Jesus, and he presents Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Just as words communicate human thoughts, we're taught that Jesus communicates God's thoughts, and he communicates to us who God is. Uh, we are wired to talk and have conversations and to be able to communicate with other human beings. And we are wired to talk and have conversation and, and to be able to communicate with our creator. And th the, those are the conversations that our, our passage calls us to as, as we attend to it today. Now, again, Jesus is greater than all else. And the theology of the preeminence of Jesus Christ has real uh, practical application for your life today. God expects you and I to live on purpose, and he expects us to use words on purpose. And the first command that he gives us in our today's passage is to devote yourself, devote yourself to words with God. He says in verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2 and forward, he says, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 2, it gives us the main command of these verses. And everything else that is going to be built off of that command. A and here's the command that he gives to you. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Quite literally, the Greek reads, devote to prayer. To, to be devoted to something. What, what does it mean to be devoted to something? It has this connotation of, of attaching yourself to something. It, it means to be faithful to it. To busily engage yourself in it. The word was used in Acts chapter 10 regarding a, a devout soldier who served under the centurion Cornelius. Cornelius took this man who attended to him, who was devoted to him. He was devoted to him, and, and it's that kind of devotion that you and I are called to as we use words on purpose. That we would do so in our communication with our God. Continue steadfastly in prayer. When you think about what that means and, and some of the words that we use in our lives today, how many, how many Cubs fans do we have here? Any Cubs fans? Wow, I'm really surprised. That, that few. A, a few years ago. So some of you are kind of, okay, now, now you're raising your like, okay. Yeah, I, I'm with most of you, really, really. No, uh, uh, okay, let's go with, uh, how about Green Bay Packers? We've got a couple more. Uh, we have a couple, I think, that are in the nursery that would probably be much more adamant. But... Have you ever seen or, or are you a person who's devoted to the cause? When it, when it comes to being a tried and true beacher, bleacher bum or 100% cheesehead, what, what does devotion look like? They take, they take it seriously. Not just the hats, but, but everything that they do when it comes to the team. Does, does devotion mean that you casually check the scores once a month and you just kind of look in and say, well, how's the team maybe doing? Or do you watch almost every single game? A devoted fan knows the team. They memorize the stats. And when the things don't look so great for this season, they know that there's always next season. They stay committed. And, and that's the word that, that Paul and Timothy use here uh, about what we are called to be and to do when we use words on purpose. 
Here's how Jesus put it in Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But after he said, afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the, his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Christians who devote to prayer are those who are like this persistent widow. Or again, in, over in Luke chapter 18, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? How many of you would go to a friend at midnight and say, Hey, I need some bread. Anybody willing to do that? Go knock on the door. Hey, got a friend coming over? Nobody? No takers? Not in our normal custom. Gabe? Gabriel Wall, come over at midnight. We'll, we'll wait for you, okay? Dog might bark, but you come on over and ask what you want. Yeah, you know, we don't do that in the same way in Jesus' day. Who has a friend that would go to their friend at midnight and say to him, friend, let me lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, I mean, Gabe's my friend, but the reason I'm going to come to the door is because he wakes me up at midnight. Don't, don't wake me up at midnight. What's that? It'd be two o'clock. Okay, we'll do two o'clock instead. He says, I tell you, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, the point that Jesus is making in these parables is that God, who loves you, who cares about you, who doesn't need sleep, and if you wake him up, you don't, if you come to him at midnight or 2 o'clock, you're not going to wake him up because he's always there. He relishes his people devoting themselves to prayer. God, who cares about us more than any sinful or fallen human being can. And we are commanded to be persistent in prayer. God expects us to use words on purpose, devoting ourselves to words with God. But before he moves on to the next command regarding the importance of how we communicate, he mentions three ingredients to devoted prayer. First of all, he says, be watchful. Be watchful in prayer. Be on the alert. Be ready. Remember when he was with the disciples at, in, at the Garden of Gethsemane? They were there in the garden. And he says, be watchful. And, and what did they do? They were tired. It had been a long day. They started dozing off. They started sleeping. He comes to him and says, wake up. Be watchful. Pray with me. He did that a few times. We're commanded in the same way, and I think he understands the struggle that we have. And in our prayer life, sometimes we, we tend to slack off. We tend to grow tired. Maybe it's in a, a season of prayer in which we're actually praying, and we start dozing off literally. 
oftentimes it's just in the fact that we maybe aren't paying attention and we've, we're, not being, we're not being on the alert and making prayer a priority in our life. He commands us to be ready. Now, I've been a pretty big fan of the Denver Broncos. Um, Nettie and I give each other a little bit of a hard time uh, regarding the, the Packers and the Broncos. Um, but ever since I was a kid, I followed the Denver Broncos. My, my dad introduced me to the game when uh, John Elway was, was uh, in his first game. He says, you watch this guy. He's going to be something. And from that point on, our family just, we were the Bronco fans. But over this last few years, I just seem to have lost my devotion to it. I, I don't think I've watched an, an entire football game since they played in the la- their last appearance in the Super Bowl. And, and all this talk uh, about devoting fa- devoted, devoted fans, it got me thinking, I, I don't even know when the season starts. A- and so I got online, I, I looked it up this week, and apparently preseason's over already. A- and the first game's this week. Um, I, I looked at Denver's roster. I don't recognize one player on the entire, I, I don't even know any of the names. Apparently I have not been watchful. And that's okay when it comes to devotion to a sports team. My, my grandmother uh, would probably have words for me, but, but it's really okay. However, when it comes to your watchfulness and to your devotion in prayer, to my devotion in prayer, we must remain vigilant in our readiness. Too many of us, we, we've fallen asleep. Too many of us are not being vigilant and alert. And too many of us in a lifestyle of prayer. We are not devoted. I appreciated how Pastor Gregory Bound said this. He said, when Christians are not vigilant or alert, we miss opportunities to stand in the gap. And therefore, the consequence is destruction. Families are destroyed. Churches are destroyed. Nations are destroyed. If we are going to be missional, we must be vigilant. We must be on the lookout for issues with our families, our churches, our jobs, and our nation. We must be vigilant in prayer. No doubt, Paul's exhortation specifically was applied to the attack this church was under. The church in Colossae was under the attack of false teachers. And Paul is saying, be vigilant, be alert, and be ready to persevere in prayer so God can protect the church and heal it. And he continues and says, with that said, we must be aware that the enemy of vigilance is apathy. We must be careful of failing, falling into apathy, a lack of care or a lack of responsiveness when it comes to the kingdom of God and God's will being done. The second ingredient that we learn in Colossians is thankfulness. Does that sound familiar at all yet? We've been going through Colossians for the last few months, and I don't know if we've ever talked about thankfulness while we've been in the book of Colossians. Anybody? This is the seventh time. Seven times now he said, be thankful. He's given a command or told about their example of being thankful in their own prayers. Seven times in this small letter of Colossians, Paul and Timothy have reminded us of the importance of, of thankfulness. Devoted prayer is prayer that remains saturated with thankfulness. We thank God for his presence. We thank God for his salvation. We thank him for eternal life and for a life of purpose. And I believe that if thankfulness is not abounding in your prayer life, if your prayer life is not saturated with an attitude of thankfulness, 
then your prayer life is going to become stagnant. If thankfulness is not overflowing in your prayers, then your prayer life is going to become legalistic. And if thankfulness is not a key element of your devotion to prayer, then your prayer life is going to become shallow. The third ingredient is, is mentioned. He commands us to be watchful. Second, he says to be thankful. And the third ingredient to be de- devoted prayer is to be intercessory. Too often, our prayers can become a rapid-fire wish list or uh, hey, God, I, I need help again pattern of prayer. Devoted prayer should include lifting up our needs, and it should include presenting our desires to God, but, but be careful to pray for God's people. Devote yourself to prayer that lifts up the needs of others and the ministry of others. If we're going to be devoted to prayer, then we have to be devoted to interceding for the ministry of one another. We must be devoted to prayer for the clear proclamation of the gospel in our evangelism. In verse 3, Paul notes that one of the purposes of their prayer is that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. If people are not being saved as a result of the ministry of our church, then we have to consider that perhaps we've kept the door closed by our failure to devoted pr- to, to devoted failure to, to devoted prayer. Say that five times fastly. For the declaration of God's word. If we are going to be devoted to prayer, then we must also be devoted to interceding regarding the suffering of one another. Paul mentions, he says, because of this proclamation of the gospel that I'm here in prison today. He's writing Colossians from a prison cell or under house arrest. And he briefly notes how he was in prison when he wrote this letter because he was proclaiming the gospel. And he doesn't come to the Colossians and say, hey, pray that I get out or pray that I escape more suffering or pray that God relieves me from all the problems in my life. He, he doesn't ask that, interestingly. That may surprise us. I, I, we hear from a lot of the s- believers around the world that are suffering today, and many of them say, don't, don't pray that, that I escape death. Pray that I would stand firm. Pray that I would share the gospel in the midst of this and that God's word would go forth and that the church would grow and that Jesus Christ would be glorified. We need to be praying for one another, not that we might escape from suffering, but that God's word would go forth as a result of our trials. But also, if we're going to be devoted to prayer, then we must also be devoted to interceding regularly for the clarity of the message preached. As your pastor, I can't tell you how much I covet your prayers. As I study God's word and prepare each message, I echo Paul's words, pray for us that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray that I would be clear, that I would clearly understand God's word. Pray for me that I would be able to apply God's word personally in my life, that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but lived out as an example. And pray that I would clearly understand it and live it out and be able to preach it clearly. It's often said, a mist in the pulpit and a fog in the pew. As Angie and I visit some churches and seek time to rest and renew over this next few weeks, I, I ask that you would be praying for us while we're in while we're in Europe. Pray for us while we're ministering alongside alongside the Beckers. Uh, we hope to be able to encourage a couple churches and to worship with a couple churches when we're in Italy for a time just resting. Pray for us during that time that that God would open up a wide door of opportunity for ministry. We don't we don't know why all of our plans got canceled and changed so many times. We, we know the circumstances that led to it, but 
But God has other things in store, and, and my prayer was that he would lead us right to where he wanted us to be, doing what he wants us to be doing. And so I would ask for your prayers as we're traveling and, and spending time studying, praying, just resting, hiking a little bit, spending time with one another. But also be praying for us as we, as we serve alongside other, others in the work of the gospel. As Pastor Jared and our elders and some of our missionaries uh, fill the pulpit here in DeWitt, pray for them. Pray that God w- would be with them as they, as they make preparation, as they study God's word, and as they proclaim God's word to you. Be devoted in prayer as they prepare what they will proclaim. Be devoted to prayer that they may make the mystery of Christ clear in how they speak. Jesus is greater than all else. If we've missed that in Colossians, then we've missed the whole thing. Jesus is greater than. The theology of the preeminence of Christ, it permeates life. And God expects you and I, he expects us to pray, to do words on purpose. And the first command that he gives to us is to continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourself to words with God. But then in verse 5, he also commands us to devote yourself to the words, to words with outsiders. Look at what he says, continues on in verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Lest your speech always be gracious, let your speech, <laughs> not lest, that, that changes the whole meaning of the passage, doesn't it? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Again, Paul and Timothy start with a command. Verse 5 is the main command for us. And then the next two verses uh, fill in everything else that's built off of that command. And here's the command for you. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Literally, he says, toward those who are out. The emphasis here is on the problem that they that they there there are many who are still outside in the dark who are without Jesus. There are many who who like yourself before have not seen the light and they don't have a relationship with Christ and they are on the outside and they are destined to a lost eternity. And so just as we are to be intentional and purposeful in how we communicate with our God, we also must be intentional and purposeful in how we communicate with those who are still unbelievers. We must walk in wisdom lest they perish. This command has a parallel passage again in Ephesians 5 where Paul wrote, be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so in both epistles, Christians are commanded, look carefully how you walk. Uh, when, I, when I was in uh, Canada for a summer, I was told that there were different traffic laws um, than we have here in the United States. And I didn't really worry about it that much because I wasn't driving a car a- at all. I, I wasn't going to have to be worrying about um, which signs to be looking for. But in particular, one of the things that I didn't know was that pedestrians most often always have the right of way. I- if you are walking on a sidewalk and you come to a street, the pedestrian automatically has a, a right of way. One day I was walking down the street, and I came to this busy intersection that had no lights, no, no stop signs, no walk, don't walk signs. There was just a crosswalk in the middle of, of this busy four-lane road. Um, that only They don't call them crosswalks in Canada. They call them zebras. They're striped. Um, so if you hear about somebody walking on a zebra, 
they're not giving it a back massage. They're, they're crossing the road. But, but to my surprise, I, I get to this, this zebra, and, and I'm standing there, and every single car on this four-lane highway stopped. And I'm sitting there on the corner looking around, trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And to my surprise, as they're all stopped, they all start getting frustrated, and they start glaring at me. And, I, and I'm just standing there like this kind of naive college student that I was. And I, I learned that I had to learn the rules that were different. Um, and, and so finally I crossed the street and they all continued on their way. Canadians, they learn very quick, quickly also when they come to the United States, that when they, come to, uh, when they come to a zebra, traffic doesn't stop here. And so they have to watch. They have to learn they're going to get hit if they, don't, if they cross the crosswalk. Now Christians also need to look carefully. In the same way, pay attention to how you walk in this world. Paul made a clear contrast. He says, don't be unwise, but walk wisely. Sophia, he says, the word for wisdom refers to that which is true insight into known facts. And the Bible tells us that God gives us the best wisdom, true insight into how to live out godly lives according to God's standards. Christians don't walk in this world without the insight that God's, that God into God's plan for us. And as part of his plan is for us to walk to impact the lives of unbelievers. Now in verse 5, if verse 5 is all by itself, one might just assume that we need to be wise and watch out for those outsiders. Don't, don't get in their way. Learn how to sidestep and avoid these non-Christians. Be careful because they'll throw you into prison. Walk li- wisely or you might end up like Paul. But he doesn't leave us with just that one phrase, does he? That's not where Colossians is going with this. And he's going to tell us how to walk in wisdom regarding outsiders. He says, first, we need to notice the time. The days are short. And living life on purpose means that we make the best use of the time that God has given to each one of us. Uh, Recently in the devotional, uh, Our Daily Bread, it was printed. Consider this. If we had to buy time. Think about that. If you had to buy time, would there be any difference in how we would spend it? Would the days of our lives be used more wisely? That's what time management consultant Antonio Herrera asked the participants in a seminar he conducted on the subject. Then Dr. Herrera became more specific. He asked, what if you had to pay in advance $100 an hour for the time allotted to you? Would you waste it? The answer was obvious. Of course, we can't put a price tag on the minutes and the hours we possess. They are given to us freely, but that doesn't excuse us from using them conscientiously, carefully, and wisely. The giver of time is God himself, and that places a far greater value upon it than any monetary figure could suggest. We must therefore use our time intelligently, taking advantage of opportunities it provides for us to serve the Lord and to do his will. My friends, as those who live on purpose, we must recognize that those who are on the outside are in desperate need of a Savior. And the time that we have is short. And so we must make the best use of the time that God has given to us. But second, notice Not only the time, but notice your words. We live in a time when people, they just, they let their words fly. 
They say things that they don't, they don't know whether it's true or not. We tear down when we disagree with someone. We're, we live in the middle of cancel culture right now where I disagree with somebody. I'm going to do everything I can to destroy that person. And words are used harshly. We live in a time where people, they not only let their words fly, but we, we, and we not only tear them down when we disagree, but we speak thoughtlessly without paying attention to whether what we say might or might not be true or not. And we speak tactlessly without paying attention to what may or may not wound. Colossians calls us to use words on purpose with those who see life differently than those of us who know Christ. So how do we do that? God gives us one main objective. He says, your words all the time in grace. Your words all the time in grace. Your objective is not to have the fastest wit. I, I know there's times when you think about things. I know there's times when you think about things afterwards and you think, oh, I wish I would have said that. And, and we'd love to have that quick wits that we see in others. And as great as that is, and as, as nice as it is to be able to think of things quickly and to, to, to put those words together, that's not the main objective. And your, your objective is not to win every argument when it comes to sharing the gospel with, thing, with people. You're going to have questions that are going to come at you. You're going to get bombarded. And we worry about those things. Aren't you thankful that God, God hasn't told us your main objective is to get all the answers right? Your main objective is to never mess up and stumble over your words with people. Your main objective is to never be able to say to somebody, I, I don't know, I'll have to look that one up. That's not what he's commanded of us. Your objective is that your words are always gracious. Your words all the time in grace. And then he uses a word picture, and he says that our words, words on purpose, should be seasoned with salt. Now, what does he mean by that? What does salt do? Two main things. It adds flavor, and it preserves. Is that right, Junior? Or Felipe? What's that? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, it does those two things, doesn't it? It adds flavor, and it preserves. It, it prevents from corruption. And so your speech... Your words all the time in grace should bring healing to people's souls rather than tearing them down. That's opposite of the way that our culture suggests things should be. If you disagree with somebody, tear them apart. That's what the world says today. Salt preserves. And your words should preserve others. It should keep from corruption. And yes, it also seasons things. Your words should cause people to desire Christ rather than to find him repulsive because of the way that you've talked to them. And here's the beauty of it. When your words on purpose are all the time on purpose and are in grace on purpose, when this grace is lived out intentionally, it will have an amazing result. You will know how you ought to answer each person. We all want wisdom in the things that we say. A and you, you won't always know what to say. But when your words all the time in grace, when they are in grace, then you will know how you ought to answer each person. 
And this is one of the most fundamental elements of, of how we make the most of our time. Just as we devoted ourselves to prayer in our words with God, we also devote ourselves to gracious words with people. Gracious speech will have a much deeper impact on your evangelism than having smooth speech. It's important, it's important that we proclaim the gospel. And it's important that we do so with boldness, that we do so sacrificially, and that we do so with, with clarity. Paul, Paul just talked about that in a couple verses before that. That's important. But if your speech lacks grace all the time, then your voice will fall on deaf ears, and those who are outside in the dark will not recognize the light. My friends, let our words be on purpose. May we devote ourselves to prayer, not as those who don't even recognize that the season has already started, but as those who watch with readiness and as those who persist in thankfulness and as those who intercede faithfully for one another. And may we devote ourselves to walking wisely toward the outside, those are who are on the outside. Not as those who are always have the, the perfect words or the best comeback, but as those whose words bring healing to the soul and direct people to the giver of all life, Jesus Christ, who is greater than all. Father, we thank you for this time we've had in, your, in Colossians. As we continue next week and conclude this book, Father, I pray that you continue to teach us. But Father, today I, I just I ask and I pray that you would teach us to be men and women who are devoted to prayer. And to be men and women who are devoted to having words that are seasoned with salt, that are words that would be filled with grace all the time. And that we would make the most of the time that we have in this world. Please guide us and live live through us as, as your Holy Spirit fills us. I pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted in our lives, this one who is greater than all else. Might the doctrine of preeminence impact our lives in profound ways that would change us and change all those that we encounter as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and see it lived out in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask this.